Hello and welcome to Servant's Heart Chapel. I am Pastor Daryl, and I hope today's episode is a special blessing to you. It's really just uh, six verses, chapter 9, verse 51 through 56. Six verses today. It may even be a short sermon, but who knows. What I have for you today are six truths for the new year. As we get into the beginning of 2022, been through so much over the past couple years, and it doesn't look like things are going to get easier anytime soon. And there's many challenges we face, both public and private, both temporal and spiritual. Um, But as I've been, every year I've been preaching on different instances of Christ's life, I I estimate it's going to take me about 10 years to preach on every single instance of Christ's life as portrayed in the Gospels. And here we have one small moment of of time, or a snapshot really, But there's so much just in those six verses. In those six verses, we can glean six truths that we can take with us and and internalize and use in the coming year. So let's uh, get right into it, shall we? Beginning with verse 51. When the days were... Coming to a close for him to be taken up, he determined to journey to Jerusalem. And of course, the word taken, the term taken up is is referring to his ascension. He knew his time was was coming short, and he knew what lied ahead, and he knew it wasn't going to be pleasant by any means. And knowing all that, it says he determined to journey to Jerusalem. That the the English word we have determined uh, really does not uh, do that word justice. Uh, It literally means he stiffened his face to go. And actually... Um, is referenced in Isaiah. I might be able to quickly go over there. Isaiah chapter 50, uh, verse 7, I think. The Lord God will help me, therefore I have not been humiliated. Therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He said it. So Isaiah used this this phrase, "set his face," and I uh, or stiffened his face. And and here Luke used the same term. Uh, there's a reason for that. That was actually a Hebrew expression for firmness of purpose in spite of any danger. So it wasn't just a determination. Like yesterday, I was, I, 
um, we were in Lubbock when when the snowstorm hit, and so the roads were a little slick. Uh, so I I was determined to get home safely. So I drove a little slower and I focused and 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 kept my eyes on the road and and we got back home just fine. It was way more than that. This determination is the kind of determination one would see when a soldier in the middle of a battlefield sees a, a brother who has been wounded and runs out in danger. Kind of reminds me of the young man who um I uh, who was portrayed or, or the young man that the movie Heartbreak Ridge was actually about this young man uh who was a Christian and actually was a conscientious objector I uh, would not carry a weapon uh much to the chagrin of his uh combat buddies and they gave him a hard time about him called him a coward and and they were on top of what they call, not Heartbreak Ridge, I said Heartbreak Ridge, Hacksaw Ridge. It was Hacksaw Ridge. Um, They're on top of this giant ridge, this giant cliff, and they were climbing up uh, to engage the enemy, and, and things were not going well, and a lot of them had left, but there were a lot that were stuck on top of this ridge, wounded and couldn't get themselves back to safety. And all night long, while the Americans were bombing the ridge, uh, this young man continued all night long to go out and find a, wound, a wounded under a rainstorm of bombs and also uh, uh, evading the enemy who was actively searching for any uh, Americans who were still alive in order to kill them. He's evading the enemy and evading bombs and he's finding uh, fellow Americans that were still alive but wounded and he would drag them or carry them to the edge of this cliff and would tie a rope around them and and lower them down uh, to safety and did this all night long. And if I remember right, he saved the lives of more than a hundred Americans. That's the kind of determination we're talking about. This I'm going to do what I what I know is right, what God wants me to do, no matter what the what the personal cost to me, no matter what I'm, I'm facing, no matter the danger. So Jesus is determined to journey to Jerusalem. And this brings us to our first truth for the day, and that is, number one, focus on the finish line. Unlike Carl Lewis and, and Daley Thompson, Derek Redmond is not a name that conjures up Olympic gold medals. But it is Richmond, Redmond, who defines the essence of determinism, determination. Derek Redmond arrived at the 1992 Olympic Summer Games in Barcelona determined to win a medal in the 400-meter race. He didn't care what medal. He just wanted to win a medal. He had been forced to withdraw from the 400 in the 1988 Olympic Games in Seoul, Korea, only 10 minutes before the race because of an Achilles heel uh, or Achilles tendon injury. And he ended up going under uh, five surgeries after that at 19 years old and, and recovery and rehabilitation after that and worked and worked and worked. Uh, so at the, when the 1992 games arrived, this was his time, his moment, his stage, 
to show the world how good he was and who he was. Derek's father, Jim, had accompanied him to Barcelona, just as, as he did for all the world competitions. They were as close as a father and son could be. They were almost inseparable and were the best of friends. The day of the race finally arrived. Father and son reminisced about what it took to get Derek to this point. They talked about ignoring past heartbreaks and past failures. They agreed that if anything bad happened, no matter what, Derek was going to finish the race, period. The top four finishers in Derek's heat would move into the final race. The stadium was packed with 65,000 fans bracing themselves for one of the sport's greatest and most exciting spectacles. The race finally began and Redmond broke from the pack and quickly seized the lead. Down the back stretch, only 175 meters away from finishing, Redmond was expected to make the finals with no problem at all. Suddenly, he heard a pop in his right hamstring. He pulled the uh, uh, up lame as if he'd been shot. The pain was absolutely intense. His leg quivering. Redmond began hopping on one leg and then slowed down and and fell on the track, rolling. Uh, rolling on the track, clutching his right hamstring. A medical personnel, medical personnel ran uh, toward him. At the same time, his father saw that his son was in trouble and raced down from the top row, leaping over the barrier. And security was trying to stop him. He said, I wasn't going to let anybody stop me. And yelled at... Uh, at the, uh, at the security guard that he's my son, I, I'm going to help him. Meanwhile, uh, uh, Redmond told the medical personnel that there's no way I'm getting on that stretcher. I'm going to finish my race. Then in a moment that will live forever in the minds of millions, Redmond lifted himself to his feet and ever so slowly started hobbling down the track. The other runners had finished the race. Suddenly, everyone realized that Redmond wasn't dropping out. No, he was continuing on one leg. He was going to attempt to hobble his way to the finish line. Slowly, the crowd, in total disbelief, stood up on their feet and began to roar louder and louder. The people cheered. Derek said, whether people thought I was an idiot or a hero, I wanted to finish the race. With each step, he limped onward, and the crowd went crazy. His father finally got to, uh, got to him and put his arm around his son and, and helped his son along the way, telling his son, I'm here, son. We'll finish this together. Together, arm in arm, father and son, with 65,000 people cheering, clapping, and crying, they finished the race that they just vowed they would. A couple of steps from the finish line with the crowd in an absolute frenzy, 
Jim released gr- gr- the gr- his grip on his son so Derek could cross the finish line by himself. Then he threw his arms around Derek, both crying, along with everyone in the stands and on TV. His father loved his son dearly. He did not baby his boy when he, when he got onto the track. He went out there because they had both had a goal, and it was important to them both. They were focused on finishing, and that goal was what rallied an entire stadium and millions of people across the world to their feet. This guy just wouldn't quit. He was focused on finishing. That is the same resolve every Christian should have in their own life. You listening to me? That is the same resolve every Christian should have in their own life. Finishing our race for Christ is 10,000 times more important than finishing an Olympic race because our race has eternal consequences. You may fall, you may mess up, you may suffer great trials, but thank God we have a Savior that is with us to help us along the way. Help us back on our feet when we get the wind knocked out of us and focus on our finish. That is the first truth that I wanted to share with you today. Focus on your finish. Verse 52, he sent messengers ahead of him, and on the way they entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. I want to point out our second truth for today, and that is our journey is not a solitary one. We do it together. Jesus did not do all that by himself. He enlisted the disciples to assist him. And in this case, we see he sent messengers ahead to make preparations. There was work to be done, and we do it together. The Christian life is not a solitary life. It's not supposed to be. That's why James in James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful in its effect. Or in Galatians, Paul wrote, carry one another's burdens. Galatians 6.2, carry one another's burdens. In this way you fulfill the law of Christ. We are here for each other to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to help one another, to provide for one another. God did not intend us to, to, to do this on our own. Verse 53. But they did not welcome him because he determined to journey to Jerusalem. So the Samaritans didn't welcome Jesus. And the reason for that, the Samaritans and Jews didn't get along. 
didn't agree where to worship. And so they didn't welcome Jesus because he was going to Jerusalem and worshiping there instead of Mount Gerizim. That's where the Samaritans believed you should worship God. And so they rejected Christ. That brings us to our third truth, and that is people will despise us for our faith. While rejection is always rejection is always difficult to handle, if our Lord was rejected, we can expect the same treatment in this wicked world. He deliberately steeled himself for the coming rejection in Jerusalem. As his followers, we must steal ourselves for rejection and not take it personally, even if it's meant that way. Living as we do in a culture that is seething with anger and that elevates pride to a virtue, we can have some great opportunities for witness if we learn the lessons of humility and love for others. Many examples in my past in the military, if you live as a serious Christian, you stand out. And a lot of people will uh, make jokes about you and, 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 or give you a hard time. I found usually it was the former Christians who were the most antagonistic. But meanwhile, they, if, if you remain consistent and love and show people that you care, they see that. And when they have a problem, they're going to come to you. They're not going to go to one of their other buddies. They're going to come to you. That person that, that they made fun of before, they're now starting to respect. Because if we're mistreated, but we respond with humility and love, we'll stand out as a light in the darkness. So be ready to let others know that it is only Christ in you that makes a difference. They may not believe it. I have one, I mentioned before, I have one atheist friend who who has a lot of respect for me, but doesn't believe at all in Jesus. And I told him, Jesus is who... Is Jesus is the reason I'm the way I am, and he, and he just won't believe it. He thinks, oh, you know, if you were Hindu, you'd still be a good man. And like, no, I wouldn't. They didn't welcome him. Versailles. 54. When the disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? They were uh, referring to what Elijah had done. 
called down fire from heaven to consume God's enemies. But there was a difference. Elijah was following the Holy Spirit's guidance. These guys, whom, by the way, Jesus had a nickname for, the Sons of Thunder. So clearly, very lightly, very likely had tempers, and they were fiery. But they didn't have the right attitude. And they had misused Scripture to support something they wanted to do. And that brings us to our next truth. Number four, it's easy to misuse Scripture. We have to be cautious with that. I'll give you a couple of examples. First off, Matthew chapter 7. Verse 1, do not judge so that you won't be judged for, do not judge so that you won't be judged. If you just stop there and, and don't read the section, you get a lot of people that say, well, you can't say anything bad about me at all. You can't say that I'm doing anything wrong. But that's not what this passage is saying at all. If you continue on, it, it talks about not bringing condemnation against others. And condemnation being damnation. You saying, well, you're going to go to hell. Making that determination. And warns, and and and. and in fact, Jesus goes on in the passage and, and doesn't say not to try to correct a brother, but to first make sure, what was it? Before you try to get, yeah, get a little uh, speck out of, out, of, out of your brother's eye and you get the tree, the log, out of your own eye first. So you can see clearly. But people will miss you as that verse. And then, real quickly, let's go to Philippians chapter 4. Chapter 4 and verse 13. <clears throat> I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. People misuse that as saying, I can do anything that I put my mind to because God strengthens me. That's not what Paul was saying. Yeah. If you read the, the beginning, the verses before it, in fact, if you start with... Um, Verse 11, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. 
I know both how to have a little and how to have a lot in any and all circumstances. I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul is saying, I'm able to make it through whatever circumstance God puts me in because he strengthens me. But people will misuse it for, uh, for other applications, including some things that God may not want them to do. So that's another example of misuse scripture. And so it happens, it's very common. There's lots more examples, but I won't fill up with all those different examples. But this incident with uh, James and John uh, shows our propensity to misuse the scriptures to justify our own sinful anger. James and John thought they were acting in the spirit of Elijah who called down fire to consume the wicked. Actually, uh, messengers from King Ahaziah who came to arrest him. You can find, if you're curious, you can find that in 2 Kings chapter 1. They could, they could cite chapter and verse to show their anger was justified, but they were wrong. Because Jesus came to seek and save the lost, not destroy them. which we'll talk about in verse 55. But he turned and rebuked them. And some translations will add, you don't know what kind of spirit you belong to, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy people's lives, but save them. I think uh, this is a good point to, to kind of take a pause and talk about the differences in different translations, because someone who's not a Christian may ask you about that. It's important to, to understand that. There, there's a very small variance between translations on, on verses. There, there, some verses, like in this case, there's a, a phrase that is in older translations, but not in newer ones. Well, why is that? Well, because the, the, the newer scholars, more modern scholars, uh, over time we've, in archaeology, we found more and more manuscript evidence of the Bible. And we found that that particular phrase is not in older manuscripts. And the, the best that we can come up with, as far as the theory of why that may be the case, is it may have been at some point some marginal note by a scribe that ended up getting put into the scripture, either accidental or on purpose. So what do we do with that as Christians? This is my opinion. It's not our responsibility to determine what should or should not be in the Bible. If you're reading a translation that it's in there, then just appreciate it and think on it and, and pray on it because it harmonizes with the rest of the Bible. If it's not there, 
don't worry about it because you can rest assured the truth expressed in that little piece that's that would have been there is also expressed in other parts of the Bible, so you're not missing out. But in this case, it's one of those small instances where there's uh, 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 some translations will have verse 55 a little bit differently than other translations. I just wanted to take a moment to address that. But no matter what, when reading this verse, it doesn't change the primary message and, and, and our next truth that I'll bring to you today. And that is, number five, revenge is not our job. The sons of thunder thought it was. It's not our, our business to judge God's enemies. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. That's what God said. Our business is to tell the world, even those who oppose us, about his offer of salvation. And Paul gave us these instructions. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We must overwhelm evil opponents with love if we can. bring, And if we can, bring them to Jesus if they will come and leave judgment with God. When you have somebody who is um, acting as an enemy to you, uh, that can be difficult, right? It can be painful. The saying, six and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's not true, is it? I liked what one musical artist said, if I can remember correctly, six and seven, I break my bones, but your words, they will kill me. It hurts. It affects. It impacts. Uh, back in 2014, or 2004, actually, 2004, I was on Masera Island just off the coast of Africa, and I met a man... Um, and I was only there for 10 days. So I was only around him for 10 days. And there was one instance where he lied about me in front of me to somebody else. And he knew that I knew he was lying, completely lying. And that really just shocked me. I had never had anybody, usually people lie, it's behind your back. This guy did it right in front of me and it shocked me. And, and, and clearly it affected me because... 15 years later, actually here in town, I was walking out of Chili's and I see this guy, long hair, scruffy beard, he's overweight, he's smoking a cigarette, and I knew it was him. And I didn't hold any bitterness towards him. I, I love the guy. I want the best for him. In fact, I, yes, I did go talk to him. Asked if he remembered me. He did. We chatted for a bit, asked him how he was doing, but it impacts us. And it's, it's, our flesh wants to get even. We want to lash out at others when they, when they do things to harm us or harm our loved ones, hurt our loved ones. But it's not our place. God told us uh, that's his domain. 
our responsibility is to help others. So one person put it this way in a poem, it's easy to be kind and good to those who show us love, but loving those who don't or won't respond takes grace from God above. Absolutely true. We need God's grace in order to love others and pray and pray for them. I had one guy, uh, in fact, when you get somebody who's an active enemy, prayer is one of the first things you want to do and you want to be consistent. I had one lieutenant that was just the uh, epitome of a toxic leader. Uh, I'm pretty sure in the dictionary, his picture was by the definition. Uh, he was just a horrible, horrible man. And, and every time he came into our office, he would just make life very, and he always had some snide remark to make to me, even if he didn't have a direct complaint about our performance or something. Uh, and so when he first started, when I first became around him, I was like, ah, oh, now I got to pray for him. And I began to pray for him. It was on my list. He prayed regularly. And what's interesting is over time, his attitude towards me changed. His behavior towards me changed. As far as I know, he didn't get saved. But that became, he, 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 him and I, his relationship improved quite a bit. And it was through prayer, it was by God's grace. The best weapon to use against your enemy is love. Finally, in verse 56, let's close this up. One final verse, one final truth we can take with us in the coming year. And really, there's a clause, right? And they went to another village. They went on. Our truth, our final truth for today is traveling on is our job. Has anyone heard um, of the, the principle or the concept or the art style, memento mori? No? That's Latin for remember you must die. Popularized, I believe, around a thousand years ago. Uh, during the Renaissance, there were a number of memento mori paintings. I should have put some up on the slides so you can see them. There's always a skull there and uh, usually a timepiece. Uh, and, and just a remembrance that one day it's going to be over, so make life make the most of life. That was the philosophy behind Memento Mori. Now, I, a man by the name of Sir Thomas Brown, in his book, Religio Medici, had this to say about it. He said, I therefore enlarged that common Memento Mori into a more Christian memorandum, Memento Quatar Novissima. Remember the last four things. Those four inevitable points of us all. And what are those four things? Death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Death and judgment comes to everyone. But whether you meet with heaven or hell is entirely dependent upon your response to the gospel. We're to remember. 
We're to remember that these four are, are coming to us. Our life at some point will come to an end and we will be launched into eternity. And there are things we do in our life that help prepare us for that eternity. The work, once you are launched in eternity, you can no longer, your time, your opportunities to witness to others, that is over. Your opportunity to pray for others, that is over. The opportunity to help anybody else uh, by uh, providing for a need, that is over. The, the opportunity, as Jesus talked about, building our treasures in heaven, there will be no more opportunity to invest anything more in treasures in heaven. All the work that we are given to do in this life, it has a finite border to it. It's going to end. And we need to be ready. And we need to live each day as we live our whole life. And as Missy put it, live each day practicing to be the person we want to be. And Paul in, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 said, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame. And that means not even paying attention to it, ignoring it. And sat down at the right hand of the Father of God. As we begin another year, let's remember to focus on the finish line. Face the challenges of life together. Not be discouraged by the rejection of others. Be careful not to misuse scripture. Love our enemies. And keep in mind our destination. Someday we're going home. Praise the Lord. Well, that's all for today. We certainly hope it was a blessing to you. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can email us at servantsheartchapel at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can go to servantsheartchapel.org. Have a wonderful day.